We want to welcome our center worshipers in and also those that are going to be joining us uh, at different times. I was greeting someone in the back a few moments ago and they said, hey, this is our first week. We've been watching the Oakland Heights services uh, since uh, like April or May and they came out today and we're just so thankful to have them, but also these that are joining us in some other fashion or form than just being here on Sunday mornings. Uh, I really don't know where to tell you to turn in your Bible today. We are going to be all over the Bible. Do you, do, you, do you have a copy of God's Word with you? And uh, if you'll grab that in some notes, we are kind of winding up an important segment, a segment for our church family. For, for you that are guests, you have to understand that our, our church has taken on an enormous challenge. En- enormous because we know there are some internal things that have got to be adjusted in our fellowship. We know that because through the years, our congregation has aged. We know that because uh, the participants at our church uh, for a number of years, uh, the number of participants has gotten smaller and smaller. And so several years ago, we set out on a journey together, a journey that we knew was not going to be easy, a, a journey that statistics are stacked against us, uh, most churches, uh, for, uh, especially those that have been around 50 plus years, especially when you get into the 100 year range and 150 year range, you know, uh, we, we know that recreating God's incredible New Testament body is extremely difficult. Throw on top of that uh, a new pending location, and uh, you have some challenges on your hands. And so for our church, we are cinched up. We are walking through some different challenges together. We don't hide that. We don't try to put that in, uh, under a table and don't share that with people. We, we know that we're in the midst of that. And uh, as, as, as we're walking through these incredibly transformational, transformational charged days, uh, I just felt led as the pastor here uh, to, to lead us through a series where we go back and we take different groups of people that have been challenged for thousands of years by God to accomplish a particular mission and see if there's some attributes that we might learn for the journey ahead of us and where we are right now uh, and, and how God might use that. And we've been talking about the Exodus account when God's children were taken out in Exodus uh, from slavery a little over 400 years, crossed the Red Sea. Things didn't go well for them. In fact, a whole generation was called especially to do something, go across the Jordan. God called them to do that. They sensed that. They knew that. And yet a whole generation went down the tube and was lost. That group did not end well. But that next generation fulfilled that mission. There's others that, man, the mission they were sent on went extremely well. Rebuilding and building the temple, those moments throughout biblical history, incredible time. Or Nehemiah, we referred to him, and we've been looking at some of those concepts of Nehemiah trying to rebuild not the temple, but the wall around Jerusalem that was so important. I mean, I mean, it was everything in terms of safety. And so that's what we're doing. And we're in our sixth week of looking at some of these important attributes. Now, week one and week six, this is our final installment of this series. And on the front end and back end, I put what I, I feel like are the two most important elements. Week one, 
commitment. Week six, heart. I just can't tell you how important measuring, evaluating, and having the capacity to finish a task. I just can't, there's no way for me to overemphasize the importance of that. This is not my first journey. This is not my first congregation. And I know, looking back historically in my own life, that there's no more important element than the heart of the people. And today I want to speak into your heart about that very, very important subject. It weighs less than a pound, that little gizmo that's pumping away. We hope it's still pumping, amen? Because... Medical experts tell us that over your lifetime, that little heart will push, are you ready, over 60,000 miles of veins, arteries, and capillaries as they reinvent themselves throughout your life. Think about how many miles that that little heart beats. What's it, 100,000 times a day? 2.5 billion beats in the average lifetime? the heart. Now we know that when Jesus and our Bible refers to the heart, it could mean a number of different things, but so often it speaks to that very inter sense of the very home of our spiritual existence, the heart. How much heart do we have? We know that concept was so important to the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus spoke about the heart. At, I mean, there were so many different times that he shared and reemphasized different elements of the heart. He encouraged people about the heart. I wrote down Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Jesus replied, you remember this incredible moment when he was teaching about the heart? Love your God with all your, I'm listening, with all your heart. Our Lord and Savior gave warnings about the heart. Remember this one in Luke 21, 34? Be careful or your hearts will be weighted down with carousing, drunkenness, anxieties, pressures of life, he says. And the day that will close on you, suddenly it'll close like a trap. Our Lord and Savior emphasized the heart all the time. He even gifted people with his teaching about the heart. Listen to what John chapter 14, verse 27 says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, but do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Incredible moments. And so today as we talk about the heart, I think it's significant for us to understand heart was at the very center core of just about every moment that God called his children to do something supernatural. Sometimes that was on the front end. Over in the book of Exodus, chapter number 25. Turn there just quickly. Exodus chapter 25 and verse number one and two, the children of God were getting ready to what? To dedicate the tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle was this animal skin contraption (laughs) like a small Barnum and Bailey tent where God met with his people. They called it the God with us. God dwells there. It was the tabernacle. Had a dirt floor because they didn't have time to install a floor. They had to pack that dude up and move it with them. It was at the center point of all the 12 tribes, right in the center of the camp. 
And there were strict regulations as God was going to meet with his people. But it's interesting, when it came time to dedicate that, the heart, the heart was on the front end of this. Listen to what Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 and 2 says. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring an offering. And you are to receive the offering from me, from everyone. And now notice this statement, whose heart prompts them to give. Even before certain key moments and big moments went on, there were these kind of statements about people's hearts. There was hard emphasized at the end of a great mission for God. If you turn over there to 1 Kings chapter 8, we see evidence of that as Solomon stands to dedicate the temple. In fact, 1 Kings chapter 8 is an interesting chapter, a lengthy chapter, uh, but the whole first half of that is a prayer. Now, some of you think that prayers can be long at times. Man, you look in 1 Kings 8 and look at the length of Solomon's prayer on the front. I mean, that dude prayed a while. But as he got to the end of that prayer and concluded it, he had a statement of dedication over the temple that had been completed. I mean, I mean it was a huge moment, this beautiful edifice, one that David thought he would be completing, but God had already set aside Solomon to complete this project. It was a massive moment. No more tabernacle, no more te uh, temporary dwelling, no more canvas, no more animal skins, but now a permanent place where God would dwell with his people. And down in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 58, and again, where does this come? On the back end of the project. The accomplishment they were called. 1 Kings 8, look in verse 58. The Bible says, may he turn our hearts to him to walk in obedience to him and to keep the commands, the decrees and the laws that he gave our ancestors. You're right there in 1 Kings 8, 58. Slide down about three verses. Look in 1 Kings 8, 61. May your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by these decrees and obey his commands at this time. Slide down a little, almost to the end of the chapter. Look in verse 66. 1 Kings 8, 66. On the following day, he sent the people away. They blessed the king, and then they went home joyful and glad in heart. It's fascinating to me. On the front end of big projects, before things even are consummated and open, this element of heart is there. On the back end, mission accomplished. Here, leadership again challenges the people about their heart. But, you know, God also speaks into the very moment of action. Turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Hang a right and head over to the book of Nehemiah. And just quickly, look in verse or chapter number four. Have you found it? Nehemiah chapter number four. And I'm going to ask you to just scroll down to verse number six. I love this moment. Opposition everywhere. In fact, you may have the subheading in your Bible over that chapter and use the word opposition. This was such a key pivotal moment. They were just getting going and rebuilding, trying to get the wall halfway up. And go all the way down to Nehemiah 4 and verse 6 and look at this incredible statement. So we, re we, we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. Now here it is. Are you ready? For the people worked. With all. 
of their hearts. It's hard to tell on the hoof when people pass through the doors of a church how much heart they have. Maybe you can look at their clothing and make some guess about how much money they may have. Sometimes that's not. (laughs) Can't judge a book by its. You might judge how friendly they are by how they engage you. But one thing you can never tell is how much heart a person has on the front end just standing there on the hoof. One thing that I just don't know yet. These coming days will bear it out. But right now, it's still unknown. How much heart does Oakland Heights Baptist Church In Longview, Texas, how much heart does it have? And when I speak of heart, I'm talking about an encompassing term here of the very inner being where we dwell with God. I'm speaking out of the adventurous soul. I'm speaking out of the finished, closing soul. I'm talking about tenacity. I'm talking about commitment and stick-to-itness. I'm talking about it all wrapped up in one. You just really don't know until you're in the midst of the battle. Just like Joshua, when he crossed over, I mean, pretty amazing miracle, but no one was shooting at him when they crossed over the Jordan. Pretty exciting when that Jordan dammed up during flood stage. And a new generation of people, the old generation, they were buried out there in the desert, man. They had their opportunity. They said, no go. And God said, then no show. (laughs) You'll stay here. No show you the promised land. You got a glimpse. You didn't want to go. But that new generation, they were able to see a water crossing themselves. But Joshua had no idea until they went into that first battle. How much heart do our people really have? And you know, I, I, I just don't know that. People ask me all the time quite often right now. Hey, Pastor, what do you, what, I mean, how, how do you think this thing's going to turn out? Don't know. Know two very important things. I know the love that this church has had historically for the Lord Jesus Christ for most of its life. I've even been connected with it in some way, even from a distance. But this is a different time. And I don't know how it will turn out. The other thing I know is I know God has called me. God's called me. Those are the only two things I know. The love this church has had historically, that God's called me. And so with that in mind today, I want you to jot down three very, very important things about heart. Now, I wish that Solomon would have taught about the components that are so important to a heart that we're talking about here, but he did not. I wish Moses would have sat down. You ever taken a concordance and to see how many times Moses used the word heart in connection with this kind of incredible activity? Zero. (laughs) Nehemiah is probably the closest as he 
deals with this subject of heart twice. But I'll tell you, there's a man in the Bible that did deal extensively with the heart that we're talking about today. And I want you to turn all the way over in your New Testament to the book of Philippians chapter number three. You know immediately when I say the book of Philippians, you know what chapter three, but you know the man that wrote it. You don't know him personally, but you know him through historical context because in the New Testament, he wrote most of our New Testament, more than any other writer. His name was Paul, but before that, he had a different name. His name was Saul. He was the persecutor. He was the murderer. And when you come to chapter 3 of the book of Philippians, verses 12, 13, and 14, that's right, did you hear that? Just three simple verses. I believe we have what may be the greatest compact teaching on what a heart should be in terms of serving God and being connected to God. But more importantly for us today, three characteristics that I just, I can't tell you how important they are for this process, for the very passage that we're on, for the journey for this moment in our church's life. So I want you to jot them down. You know what's coming in a couple of weeks. I've asked you to save all your notes, and I hope you did that. When you get your little bound notes, there'll be a place for you to slide your notes in there because we're going to need these notes from these six weeks for the next several years. They're going to be important to us. They will not go away. They are the manual for success, not because Michael Cook gave them to you, because the Bible gives them to us. All I've done is pull them out of the passage, lay them in front of you, so you can be praying about that, so we can unify around these important points of application. By the way, when you come to chapter 3, this is extra, no charge. Really, Philippians 3 is really more of a spiritual biography of Paul's life. Look at it there as it just kind of flows in your chapter, Philippians 3. The first 11 verses really deal with Paul's past. In fact, when you come to the end of the chapter, down around verses, what, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, you, you, you have the future look that Paul sees in terms of his life ahead. But my goodness, when you get to the middle of that chapter, he talks about these heart characteristics that are so very important to us. They're crucial. I don't want you to miss a, a single one. Let's jot them down. I promise I won't keep you long today, but just to speak about these three characteristics, how do we live lives that don't end up in defeat? How do we as a church not end up in that, in that scenario? And I remind you that not everyone called by God to accomplish some great feat for him that's a supernatural feat, not every one of them was successful. And I want to know, I think you should be wanting in a curious way to know what distinguishes, what made the difference between those people that were called to rebuild the wall and they were successful and another group of people to go take the promised land, all of these incredible deliverances, one right after another, supernatural things, and another group fail miserably. What makes the difference? And I think we're going to come back to the same answer time and time again. It was a difference of the heart. Why do some people live derails and and defaulted lives and others seem to be able to finish and stay strong? What makes the difference? And the difference is the heart.
Three things. Let's read these passages together. Would you, they all hang together. Let's begin in verse 12. You know the verses well, don't you? Not that I've already obtained all this, Paul says. Just talking about everything that God's called him to do in the past. The incredible work that God's been doing. And he says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, verse 13, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, and that's so important, and straining toward what is ahead. Look in verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's jot down three characteristics that Paul gives us that have incredible implications when it comes to the heart. Number one, Paul mentions to us to have the heart to finish, the heart that is in tune with God, the heart that we need to be able to accomplish as a body of Christ what he has for us. Number one, there's got to be concentration. Number one, there's got to be a different level of concentration. In other words, focus. You know, one of our favorite statements and sayings around here at Oakland Heights Baptist Church is this. Our focus will determine our finish. That's so very important. Concentration on the task. Our mind can be pulled many different ways. Did you notice as you kind of look through, there's one common thing in all three of these verses. All three verses Paul, in some form or fashion, represents his, the importance of staying focused on what the mission really is. Like in verse 12, I've not arrived at my goal. How does he know that? He knows that because that goal is foremost in his life. He's focused on it. Look down there at verse 13. Uh, I, I, I don't think I've taken hold of it yet. Well, how, how would he know that? Because his focus is on the goal. Look down there in verse 14. I press on, there it is again, toward the goal. My friends, our lives are filled with choices. As we get older, the choices get bigger and bigger. Tougher and tougher many times. But understand Every single day, you and I have got to make incredibly important choices. Sometimes we make good choices. Sometimes we make bad choices. But those choices, make no mistake about it, are going to determine our future. Choices are important. For instance, jot this down. Commitment to excellence is a choice. A body of Christ, an individual being committed to excellence, that in itself is a choice. But every single day, we're called to make choices. Paul making reference here to the goal. That drove him, those choices and those responsibilities that he had. I was asked the other day to do a wedding up in, I was sharing with our Moore at Midweek uh, group. By the way, if you don't come to Moore at Midweek, man, you're missing something incredible. If you would amen that more at midweekers, would you just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, I can testify there's something amazing about more. Look at all these hands. We'd love to have you at 1031 a.m. And I'll tell you what, on Wednesday mornings over at the center, and if you come, if you come, Pastor Kevin's going to buy your lunch the first time that you come, okay? So, I mean, I mean it's a, it's a money-back guarantee thing. You're going to get a free lunch out of it, even if you don't like it, but you're going to like it. 
But I was sharing with them about doing this wedding up in Upshur County and seeing a number of people up there that, man, just kind of rekindling some relationships. I was a pastor there for six years and and uh, we were just talking about the good old days. In fact, when I walked into the church, they had this, one of the same old pictorial directories that uh, they, they took back in the year 2000. There it was laying on one of those tables there. And I looked, man, I was, I almost had some hair back in those days. But you know, one of my biggest regrets, as great as that six and a half year time period was, Boy, there's one huge regret that I have. And it taught me a life lesson that I'll never forget. Our second year there, our church doubled in attendance. I think the church had about 200 people when we went. And we got to that 400 marker. Third year, doubled again, 800. Fourth year, and high attendance day that year, we had 1,600 people. Now, just remind you, Gilmore, Texas has 4,819 people registered in the whole city. 25% of the whole population of Gilmore, Texas was in one building on Sunday mornings. It was just, it was just an incredible pilgrimage. Led that association four straight years with over 100 baptisms. It was just an amazing thing. But, you know, year five and six, something interesting happened. We didn't lose any people. But that growth rate began to change. Some people marked it off and said, Pastor, what can you expect? You're only in a town of 4,800, 4,900 people. But that wasn't what changed. What changed is our people were, it was never brought to the people of First Baptist Church's Gilmer's attention of something that's so very important. It's, it's, it's a forgotten rule. And here's the rule. You may want to write it down. You'll have to do it in the margin because I hope it's a rule that you'll never forget either. Either a living body is either growing or dying. A living body is either growing or dying, period. For you that are in this building that can hear my voice and you by camera today, if you think there's really something in terms of life called plateau, you are a foolish, foolish person. It doesn't matter what living object you take. Let's take grass. Grass is either growing or it's dying. Let's take, for instance, a tree. A tree is either growing or it's dying. Pastor Kevin has done such a great job. He's, he's in the service with us today, sitting over here. Not only has he made a commitment to buy new people's lunch on Wednesday, but he's also done an incredible job of getting our re-engaged marriage series going. I think there's 30 or 35 couples every Sunday night, most of them not even from our church that are coming from our community, that are engaged in trying to do some important maintenance in their marriages. You do know, don't you, either a marriage is growing or it is dying you do know that the living organism of the church is either growing or it is dying there is no maintenance mode and even if there were one it would not be sustainable I just wish earlier on in my ministry and life 
I would have known that and being able to understand that and have communicated that. And let me tell you something, that rule, either you're growing or dying, doesn't have anything to do with your age. Absolutely nothing. I mean, I'm at the point now, my birthday candles cost more than the cake itself. It has nothing to do with age. But it has everything to do with heart. And so often that attitude is one of the most important concepts. Maintenance mode. We're just going to rock along. No risk. And in those moments, there's resting and there's drifting. And understand, none of us know where the finish line of our lives are. You may be 50 years from it, and you may be five minutes away from it. Amen? We, none of us know. Somebody this week told me, uh, I guess he's probably in his mid-40s, at least that's what he indicated to me. We were talking about some things, and he said, you know, Pastor, I'm in midlife. And he said, you know what the mission statement of somebody in midlife is, don't you? And I said, no, tell me. And he said, don't mess it up. I said, interesting, why is that the mission statement of those that are in their middle-aged years? He says, well, by then you have a marriage, you have a couple kids, and you probably have a fairly successful job or a business. And, and at that point, all you're trying to do is just not mess things up. I said, you need to tune in Sunday. That sounds like you need to hear one of the most important lessons of all life. In life... You're either growing or you're dying. There is no place else. Steve Farrar, that incredible writer of Point Man that used to be so instrumental to get uh, Promise Keepers launched and different things I've shared with you before, has that incredible story of the only sport known to mankind that the participants can't see the finish line. Every sport except one known to mankind, you know where the end of the contest will be. Basketball, there's a clock. Football, there's a clock. Baseball, there's innings. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what it is. Ping pong, there's a score that you get to and you know the end of the game. But in, in rowing, it's the only sport where the spectators' backs are to the finish line. And so they never know where the finish line is in terms of team rowing except for the guy that sets up in the front of the boat reverse not rowing but he has a megaphone and he's called the coxswain he lets them know how close they are to the finish line and so that's why my friends the heart is so very important it's it's so very important because it must be guided by what concentration we can't drift in the smallest bit if we want to be successful in our lives and following the Lord's mission for our church. Quickly, the second word, will you jot it down? Not is only concentration, but go back to the text and look, there's a second thing. There's got to be elimination. You want to know about a heart that's in tune, a heart that will accomplish something in great fashion with God? Concentration and elimination. Did you notice what Paul wrote? He said something very, very important. 
Look in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or already arrived at the goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me, brothers and sisters. I don't consider myself having taken hold of it, but one thing I do, here it is, forgetting what is behind. Do you see that phrase? Forgetting what is behind. You know what I thought of when, when I read that? I thought of Hebrews 12. We're going through the book of Hebrews on Wednesday mornings. Little by little, we're going to eventually get to chapter 12, that great hallmark chapter. Remember, it says, even though we're surrounded by such a great cloud, a great plume, literally rendered, this big poof of witnesses, all of these people that have gone before us. The writer of Hebrews says, even though they've, they've given us this example, let us throw off everything, remember, that entangles us and then the writer of Hebrews goes on to say we throw that off that entangles us so that we will what sin no more I just can't tell you how important this is in terms of the heart this process of elimination all kinds of things in our Christian life cause us to stumble cause our hearts to be misplaced Selfish pride can cause that. Resting in the past, trying to find that plateau experience that does not even exist. Either we're living or we're dying. Either we're dying or we're living. Sterile living can cause that. And we know that sinful pleasures cause that. I mean, just right on the edge of moral failure time and time again. How important the spiritual disciplines are. You know, I, I was thinking this week, uh, when, you know, when it comes to elimination, do any of you think our lives are too complicated and just too, I mean, just too complicated, period? Can I see your hands if you think life's a little too fast-paced and complicated? Oh, you like the way your lives are? Really? I guess I'm the only one that thinks life needs to be a little more simplified. Elimination is a good thing. Sometimes elimination requires us to eliminate good things to make way for the best things. Sometimes things in our life have to be removed and eliminated so that we can enjoy things that are much more profitable for us. And I don't mean financially, but I mean spiritually. Life doesn't have to be complicated. I mean, think about it. You and I have talked about this. There's only seven colors in a rainbow, period. And look at what Michelangelo did with those. I mean, there's only, how about it, Josh? Only seven musical notes. That's all there are. Seven. And look at what Beethoven did with those. And my friends, there's only 10 numbers. I have a math teacher at home, my wife. There's only 10 numbers in all of the numerology, just 10. Look at what Bernie Madoff did with those, but we won't get into that. Life's pretty simple. Really only four things in life that we really need when it gets down to it. We all need something to do. We all need somebody to love. We all need somebody to believe in. And we all need hope for something in our life. Those four things are really what life's all about. Something to do, 
somebody to love, someone to believe in, and something to hope for. And I remind you, when it comes to elimination in our lives, there's never a right time to do the wrong thing and there's never a wrong time to do the right thing. And one of the things that God continually teaches me in terms of a heart lesson is, you know what? You can't do it all. There are those moments when certain things creep in and they cost us. Elimination. Would you jot down this third and final thing? There's got to be concentration. There's got to be elimination. And then there's got to be determination. The third very important element for the heart. You know, Paul made a point of this two different times. Did you catch it in verse 12? But I press. Look at that word. In the Greek language, that's an interesting word. I press on. A little later, down in verse 14, he says what? I press toward. David Livingston, the great missionary, you remember his famous statement? He says, I'll go anywhere for God as long as it is what? As long as it's forward. My friends, finishing any task for the Lord Jesus Christ is always going to involve endurance and perseverance to be able to see it through. And what separates that? Is that heart issue? Is that learned? Is it God-given? You know, is it just, hey, we're born in a, with a heart that is tenacious and will stick to it and a heart that's a finisher? Well, if that were true, the Apostle Paul, I mean, his life would not be correct evidence for us biblically. Here was a guy that was going in totally the wrong direction. In terms of environment, he was on completely the wrong path. But yet God changed his incredible heart. And so understanding that determination is so very important. And as hard as a Christian life is, I can tell you the way of the transgressor is harder. It's harder. Yesterday is the first day that I've had the opportunity. One, I guess one of my top three or four best friends in the whole world is the head football coach now at the University of Texas at San Antonio. His name is Jeff Trailer. And so this last week, we've been conversing back and forth, talking about a lot of things. It was his first college head football coaching job. First time as a college head coach to coach yesterday. I wanted to go so badly, but of course, COVID, all kinds of issues. So we just tuned in by television. And it ended up being a double over, overtime game, maybe the most exciting game. It's going to be one of those ESPN instant classics, his very first game. And he won, so that was a good thing. But, you know, as we were talking back and forth this week, um, he brought up that same subject. First time you're going to take a team into action. Don't know how they're going to respond. Scared to death. You can take a stopwatch, see how fast they are. You can watch them lift weights, see how strong they are. I mean, you can do all kinds of measurements, but as you stand there with a clipboard, there's no way to measure heart. What is it that puts that incredible endurance in a heart that ends up being a finisher? You know, you look around the sanctuary now after three years. You got a pretty tough ombre left in here. You have to wonder if we've got the finishers in here. 
the ones that will close, the ones that will honor a commitment, the ones that will stick with it, the ones that really feel called to the mission. You know, that's a whole different level of commitment, isn't it? But I know this, you and I got to be so very careful when we talk about accomplishing missions. Because really it's not about a mission so much as it is a transformation of the heart. It's about a life change. It's about a kingdom impact. That's what it's all about. A constant reservoir flowing forth from our lives to make an impact in others. That, my friends, is what it's all about. This last week, God called me out into the country. Out on a mission, a mission about 12 miles outside of Longview, out to where they had cows, out where they had well water, out talking to a couple of farmers this week, a couple of big time ranchers this week, and. Anyway, in the conversation, one of those guys that had, I don't know, six, seven hundred acres, just so refreshing to be out there and listen to him. And he had his old cowboy hat on and had his old dog there. And I mean, it was East Texas cowboy day for me. As I stood there, he was talking about how the road that he lives on has changed. And he said, you know, right up the top of the hill, there was the old Clements place. He says, Used to be a family that lived up there. He said, I think some part of the family's lived up there for 100 years. He said, they finally died out here a few months ago. He said, everybody around here in this, this part of the country, Pastor, everybody around here knew one thing about this, this family. They had the best tasting water in the whole county. He said, you can pick any kind of bottled water that you want. And he said, I guarantee you, for 100 years... You could have drawn a cup of water out of that well and it had been better tasting water than anything you could have ever bought. Now I tell you what, he said it with enough, I guess, trustworthiness, at least from my standpoint, I believed him. But he said there's been a big problem. I said, what's that? He said, you know, about eight or nine years ago, they, they, they decided they were going to cut off that well up there, the, the family did, and they were going to get on this community. He said, I, I guess they got tired of going out there and drawing that, that well water. He said, they never even hooked it up to their house. They, they'd go out there and, they, and they'd haul it into the house and drink it. He said, so they tapped onto the community water supply, and he said, they put a big box over that well. And he said, they set that box down there and said, you know what, if we ever need this, or we ever get ready for this cool, refreshing, pure water, it'll always be here for us. He said, you know, the strangest thing happened. He said, the other day, some distant relative got ready to sell that place, and they went up there, and they took that box off of that well, and they began to try to prime that well, and they tried and tried and tried, never could get it to, to prime up. And he said, they called one of these fancy well diggers out here to, see what the problem was and he said you're not going to believe it but that well dried up bone dry he said pastor did you know that deep down in those wells they're little canals he said I, I didn't know that he said 
down in the ground as those people for all those years, better part of a hundred years, pumped that water, water would infill into those areas and it always kept that well running clean, pure, and it always had an ample supply. But he said, Pastor, when they stopped using that, there was no more infilling. And that well went bone dry. And you know, as I got in my truck and headed back to Longview, Texas this week, I was reminded, you know, that's exactly how the Christian life is. And I don't mean the Holy Spirit vacates. I mean, most Christian lives, it's not because God goes anywhere when they falter and derail. We know what happens. We dry up from the inside. When we dry up from being generous, loving, sharing in service, the capacity that God's called us to fulfill. Boy, in those moments, devastating things can happen. I wrote down the two words that were spoken a few hours before the longest, largest NBA basketball, the largest TV audience ever. There were two words uttered by maybe the greatest player of all time, who had been retired for several years. His name was Michael Jordan. He uttered these words one time. He said, I'm back. On a fax, he sent to his old basketball team, I'm making a comeback. That's all he had to say. I'm back. You know, I pray that one day in the near future, those are two words we're going to hear about Oakland Heights, Baptist Church. We're back. But can I tell you two greater words? The words that every one of us should always be searching for. The words that we today on this day, the Lord's day, be willing to really yearn for from our Lord. Two simple words. Well done. That should be our ultimate goal. One day when it's all done and God evaluates our heart and he's the only one that'll matter. He'll look on our life and say, well done. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for these moments that we've had talking about a very important thing, the heart. And Father, where it's on the front end, in the middle of, or even at completion of a task that you've called your people to, that seems to be a constant thread printed in your word, a constant reminder of how important being successful on any mission for you would be, and that is to have the heart that we are called to have. A heart that is single-minded, focused, a heart of true concentration. A heart that is filled in those moments with elimination. The things that creep in that have no business there. Things that can derail a church body. Sometimes things we say can be costly. Other times things that we do can cost us. Sometimes the way we fill our lives and to the level that we fill them Elimination can be such an important part of having the heart that we so desire to have for the kingdom of God. And Father, 
that determination. That which you put in us to finish the task, to be a finisher. Father, I pray for our level of commitment as a church family. I pray for your direction. I pray for unity. I pray for perfect timing. I pray that our leadership would be so committed to our personal prayer lives and devotional time that would be so yoked to you that we'd be able to hear from you. And Father, I thank you for a church family that through the years has had dynamic ability to love. To love those that are unlovable. To love those through mistakes. To love those through difficult days. I thank you for a church body that that is such an important priority for them. Because as you spoke as our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus, there's nothing more important than loving our God and loving each other. So Father, as we have this opportunity to gather around your word, sing praises to your name, to exalt you today, I pray that you would keep our church family in good stead with you. We love you. We worship you. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.